Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, many of you may have missed what I think is a telling move by the French technology and consulting giant Capgemini a few weeks back with its plans in Australia to acquire the listed RXP services. The deal has some process and governance items still to check off, but it's likely to proceed and complete in the March quarter of next year. No doubt my guest today will beg to differ, but RXP should have been a prime takeover target for the global communications holding companies who are all trying to expand into digital and technology transformation services. RXP is an interesting one. It's generating about $120 million in revenues from its specialist expertise across the Salesforce, Microsoft and ServiceNow platforms and other services, but RXP also acquired the branding, data design and customer experience agency, The Works, a few years ago for circa $33 million to build out its end-to-end capabilities in text, customer experience and campaign execution. And it seems Capgemini likes the strategic intent of RXP. So could we be seeing the emergence of another Deloitte Digital or Accenture Interactive, which has advisory and brand and executional expertise? Well, we're about to find out. With me today is the CEO of Capgemini in Australia and New Zealand, Olaf Pechner, and RXP's co-founder and CEO, Ross Fielding. Thanks, gents, both for joining today. I'm fascinated in this conversation. Um, to Olaf first, let's get straight to it. Why RXP and why now? And are we seeing this emergence of, a more, com- of more competition for Accenture Interactive, Deloitte Digital, and the global communications holding companies? Welcome, Olaf. Thank you very much, Paul, and thank you for the opportunity to talk to you today. So Capgemini in Australia and New Zealand has been one of the fastest growing regions for Capgemini globally, and we've shown amazing resilience and demonstrated agility uh, during what has been very difficult times for any company globally, and uh, we continue to focus on growth across a number of key sectors, in particular financial services public sector, consumer products, retail, energy and utilities. And globally, we have communicated to the market that our ambition is to build up the presence of Capgemini in Asia Pacific and remain a key growth engine for the group, uh, in particular in Australia. Early on during the year, we acquired uh, the MuleSoft specialist White Sky Lab, allowing us to offer end-to-end digital transformation capabilities to our clients. and. Together, we're building up specialist capabilities around customer experience, digital transformation, and also run IT operations and digital operations for our clients, and really are very, very focused on changing the scale of Capgemini in Australia and New Zealand. And with our combined strength with RXP in Australia, we'll enable us to use insights, design, and technology to create inclusive and sustainable futures for our clients. So I think the new thing for us, as you pointed out, Paul, is the design capability and and the works. And a lot of things that RXP does, uh, we are are doing. So it is a tremendous uh, organization with tremendous talent, uh, very, very happy client. And we believe jointly we will be able to have a much greater impact 
on our clients and their need to transform their organisations. So, Alef, what has the, been the core services that Capgemini has had? You mentioned that uh, RXP will sort of bolster what you've already got. So there's nothing new here that you're, t- you're taking on with RXP in terms of capabilities. It's sort of more a building out of what you've got. So I think the works, as you pointed out, in terms of differentiated customer experiences and really digital advertising and true advertising creative capability, that's certainly new for us here in Australia and will allow us to provide more an end-to-end capability to our clients. In terms of other areas uh, where Ross and his team are very, very strong, we are already one of the leading Salesforce partners in, in Australia. And I think with the combined teams, we will be a much better partner to our clients and our combined strength in the Salesforce space in particular uh, is, I think, one of our differentiating factors in the market. We will be one of the leading Salesforce implementers and in uh, combining this with our global customer experience and insights capability and really help organizations to transform into more digital, more data-centric organizations. Going back to that early premise that I've put to ULF and, and to Ross, and, and you know I could be completely wrong, but is the uh, acquisition of RXP with that end-to-end capability around the works, is this a, is this kind of a little pilot for, for Capgemini or is it to the side really, it's, it's, it's not core to what, where you want to go um, or is there something bigger intentions here? We're certainly aiming to change the scale of our Australian and New Zealand business and this is a very, very significant building block for us to uh, invest in the market here and become one of the leading uh, digital technology, customer data, insight, transformation partner to, to our clients. Yeah. To Ross, when you made that acquisition of the works a few years ago, there was sort of a, a bit of conversation in the market about, who one, who the hell's RXP? And two, why did they do that? I've got a couple of questions for you, which is, who the hell is RXP for my listeners? Why did you do that? And then why is the Capgemini deal uh, attractive? Why are you going to allow essentially to, to delist really to become part of a big global firm? First on that point, first and foremost, it's interesting. You know, as I always say, every day goes by, more and more people know who we are. Uh, and I'll guarantee you today there's more people know who RXP is than they did yesterday or the day before or the day before. What have we been doing, though? I mean, for 10 years, you know, we started out with six people and have grown to, you know, 560-plus people up and down a little bit in terms of headcount. But we've been pretty busy, even from the start, setting out ourselves to be more and more of an end-to-end player in digital transformation. So you think about that and you say, okay, so what was the most recent thing we did? You're right, it's a while ago now. I think it's almost three years ago or maybe more that we acquired the works to fill out our organisation in that end-to-end sort of digital transformation play. What does that mean? We added a business that allowed us to go from company strategy, brand strategy, brand execution, all the way through to the experience that the brand provides to the end user and the implementation of that through technology and digital platforms. And ultimately, we support it. So it sort of makes a bit of sense that that journey that we've made, as we've gone through that journey, more and more people have seen what we do and how we go about it, and and we can sort of stand on our two feet these days in terms of the experience that we do provide both ourselves and CAP, if you think about it. We've both got 
sort of humans at the centre of what we do. You know, RXP, probably 18 months or two years ago, changed its sort of mantra, if you like, to one of making happier humans. And we changed the way in which we presented ourselves to the market around expression, experience, enablement. And the whole reason for having three E's of expression, experience, enablement was to make sure that in businesses and in our clients' eyes, there's no one we shouldn't be talking to. From the you know the head of strategy in businesses to the head of marketing to the head of product to the head of customer to the head of technology all the way through to the operational day-to-day stuff and that's how we positioned ourselves so that we could really take advantage of you know digital platforms but in a way that was very much people focused. Did it? How's that been landing, Ross? Um, because you know it's a, it's a strategically uh, I get it, and it's pragmatic and practical and smart. Sometimes those sorts of smart thinking doesn't always land uh, on the ground. Uh, how's it been taken up? So the good thing about that is that in the you know if we call it sort of our core business of what it used to be, and then we sort of added the works onto that. The reality is the two pieces of business still are very successful in their own rights. But there's no question, you know, for us, if you think about selling three E's in an organisation, in a big tier one organisation, you know, who's the person in the organisation that really has accountability for the expression, experience and enablement part of their business? It's typically their CEO. So clearly there's not many of those. And so if you're not always talking to the CEO, which is where we wanted to do as a business, raise the bar of, in terms of who we're talking to. But if we're not talking to the CEO, then we still have to, to sell the individual pieces that we have. But the beauty is, once you get into organisations and they can see how you can help them, our ability to pull together, you know, from the creative aspect through the experience all the way through to execution is really important. So how well is it landing? In terms of us, if you have a look at where our revenues are coming from today as compared to where they came from, say, five years ago, we're doing much more transformational type work with clients than we would have five years ago. And the reason for that is it protects your revenue streams because, you know, the, the mundane stuff becomes a bit um, pretty competitive um, versus when you're helping people strategically, you know, you can differentiate yourself from others. So so that transformation work you talk about, Ross, is that that's as opposed to sort of the systems integration or the rollout of... Yeah, I mean, if you think about... So we used to, we used to support businesses and their workforces, whereas today we're more leading projects and programs of leveraging technology. We still love technology and we think every business should love technology because we all use it each and every day. But technology for technology's sake makes no sense. And it does have to support the overall business strategy and the brand strategy and how it presents itself to market. Olaf, how does that sense of our expert, what Ross talked about, expression, experience and enablement, does that broadly sit within what Capgemini is trying to do or what it is already doing and building out? Where does that sit strategically? And certainly, I think we are aiming at very, very similar outcomes. We call it something slightly different, but it's certainly... We've got a very, very strong advisory consulting and strategy business, uh, Capgemini Invent, that works across future of technology, customer experience, change management, uh, data science and uh, enterprise uh, data. And I think it's very similar. And then we, we move into implementation of, of key technologies and large transformation programs that either happen because uh, uh, companies get disrupted uh, by, by innovation or other market entrants and uh, companies need to reinvent themselves 
another trigger and something we have seen quite significantly is the move of activity from physical to, to digital channels. And in particular with COVID in government, we've seen a move of uh, a lot of transaction where people walked into into government offices and queued up into into uh, a digital interactions, and that that customer and citizen experience is a significant driver uh, for change in government as they need to scale to respond to the level of demand they have from citizens all around the country, whether it's in Canberra or kind of in in the state governments and. I, I truly see an opportunity to, to, to leverage that capability that Ross described and that we jointly will have to really help organisations respond to what's expected from them in the new normal. And certainly on the government side, not a second too late for some transformation, um, Alefa. Certainly from my personal experience as a customer or citizen, so I'm looking, you know, you're right on that. Now, listen, you mentioned earlier about the Australia-New Zealand market, I think, being one of the fastest-growing regions for Capgemini globally, Asia-Pac perhaps. What is it about this region that's seen sort of turbo growth? Quite frankly, Paul, we, we are a large global organisation with over 270,000 people worldwide, and uh, we are often the partner and uh, we describe it as the leader for leaders. And uh, we were punching below our weight here in, in Australia and we, we realised with Australia being one of the largest, in fact, the seventh largest digital and technology services market, uh, that there is a significant opportunity for us to help clients here in Australia and leverage our global capabilities. And so the areas of growth, you mentioned it, is it from those sectors you talked about, government, financial services, uh, en- energy, those are the, the sectors you're seeing the traction for, for Capgemini uh, deliver? Yes, yeah, certainly they are the sectors we are focusing on. And I think uh, coming back to your question of what has been driving success and success has been driven by a laser sharp focus on what we're good at. And one thing I talk to with, with our clients is, we don't make promises that we can't deliver. And once we make a promise, we will deliver. And I think that that straight talking and honesty in the relationship with clients is almost uh, uh, novel to the industry as uh, people have in, in my view. And I've been on the customer side for a very long time as well and bought consulting services. It's refreshing. Uh, did you buy Captain and I when you're on the other side, Olaf? I certainly did. Oh, well, gee, I thought I was going to get you there, but I didn't, damn it. So listen, Capgemini's key points of contact on the client side, CEO, but is it more chief technology officer, chief information officer? Where do you sit with that? And does the RXP acquisition, does it bring a, a, a new um, sort of way into companies with, with, with from CMOs and so forth, marketing and, and, and customer experience? Does that deliver something for you there? So we have got a customer experience capability, but certainly the interaction and the level of engagement uh, that the works has with CMOs and the brand the works has with the work they're, they're doing uh, is, is certainly lifting our game and the opportunity for the works and the team there to potentially do work with clients that we've traditionally been a technology partner to. And that's certainly a, a, a large part of the opportunity. And uh, yeah, we, we're really excited about our ability to jointly 
transform customer experience, dif- create differentiated experiences for our customers' customers. So that's just potentially a scalable capabilities area for, for Capgemini in the future, depending on how this goes. Absolutely, and there's no doubt that it will go well. <laughs> nice, I like that uh, optimism, given Ross is so talented. Um, <laughs> Ross, I've got, to, I've got to ask you, why why not remain independent? Why, why go with, with Cap on the steel? Yeah, I think there's a few few reasons. I mean, first of all, for us, we've always, put it, putting aside someone buying us or we buying someone else, our sort of ethos has always be, been if you're not growing, you're sort of, you're dying a little bit. And that sounds a bit dramatic, but the truth is you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep growing. Um, and so we've always wanted in our own minds to, to get bigger and we've never decided or we've never said that that wouldn't be being part of someone else. And so I guess what we've said, why now and why this? Well, certainly for us, what we want to do is make sure if we were to go uh, and join some, someone else or something else, we'd want it to be in a growing world. Well, that's the beauty that, you know, Olaf has already said, you know, that Capgemini have been growing, growing nicely in Australia. So that's really nice, nice for our team. I think the other thing is we both share a passion for making a difference out there in market. You know, we might have some slight differences in terms of some capability and things, but we both have the same passion to, to make a bit of a difference. Uh, for our team, I think we're looking at it right now based on what I'm talking to my team about is being part of something a bit bigger uh, and really being able to punch, you know, Olaf said you know, underweight, we want to always wanted to punch above our weight. So, you know, and, and this gives the opportunity for our team to learn, to grow, to develop. Um, and that's the sort of number one reason, you know, Olaf and his team and Capgemini globally have not looked at this to say, let's rip the cost out of RXP and get the benefits from it. That's not what this is about. This is literally about growing into what we've got and growing beyond what we have. So in other words, making the old cliche of one plus one equaling much more than two has got to be the goal. And for our people, it gives them an opportunity to grow and develop and learn as well. And who knows, that might be in Australia and New Zealand, or it could be globally at some point in time. Well, I look forward to that little conversation. You've, you have reinvented uh, yourself, Ross RXP, a number of times since you've launched um, the business. What is it today? And I've just got to come back to this, this rationale of acquiring the works back in 2018 or whatever it was. No regrets on that deal? Still worked for you and, and a good move? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Some would say, goodness, just as well you did that because maybe you wouldn't be where you are today sort of thing. Maybe life uh, would have got even tougher for you guys, you know, with COVID coming along and things like that. We've been able to, as you rightfully say, reinvent or evolve ourselves along the way. We've been trying to be where the ball's going to go, not where it's been all the time. Uh, Our logic of making sure that we just didn't stay with technologists, that we broadened ourselves out because there's plenty of money spent at business strategy, branding, branding strategy and the whole sort of people focus with the experience and that's what we've done. Um, If we hadn't have moved into, you know, to Capgemini and if this didn't occur, obviously there's still a process to flow out. We'll keep evolving. So, you know, in, in a year's time, we'll be come back, Paul, talking to you and listeners. You'd hear me saying that we've morphed ourselves again or moved ourselves again. Right. I've got to ask, of course, you can't say it on the mics, but you must have been looking at other companies as well, What with, with other than RXP. What was the trigger that said, okay, RXP's for us? I mean, what, what was the difference versus other companies that are out there? That's to you, Olaf, I think. That is to you, uh, Olaf. So, Paul, I must say I was always impressed with RXP and uh, we sometimes meet in the market and compete against each other and... Uh, 
and uh, sometimes we lose, sometimes we win, and we know very well uh, what strength of capability. I think the culture, uh, the, uh, the the really the focus on strategic partners, not too dissimilar to us uh, in Salesforce, ServiceNow, and Microsoft in particular. They're all, I think, technology platforms and uh, and focus areas that are a focus area for us as well. And as I said before, we we already very strong in Salesforce and MuleSoft. We've got global capabilities uh, around ServiceNow, and we have been a partner of ServiceNow here in Australia, but we see a lot more opportunity, and RxB certainly uh, one of the leading, if not the leading partner of ServiceNow in this geography and has won awards. And in the Microsoft space, again, we've got very, very strong capability in Europe and North America, and some capability in particular as it comes to cloud and analytics, uh, Azure and uh, and Power BI and things like this, but nothing to the scale of RxP. And they're well known in the market for being one of the premium Microsoft uh, technology partners. And uh, that's certainly an area that we felt we needed to be strong at. Tell me, Olaf, um, do you see the, the, the possibility of being a platform partner more broadly than what you've got now? So the set you talk about now, whether it be Microsoft, uh, whether it be ServiceNow or Salesforce, can you become something broader so you've actually got other platforms, whether that be Google or Adobe or Oracle is there or SAP and so forth? Do you see the possibility of being a specialist or, or having capabilities across all those platforms or do you want to narrow it deep, be deeper? My view is Capgemini is a global company. We're good at all these things. But the scale we are, and uh, it's probably different to the scale we, we, we uh, have the ambition to be, I think focus and knowing what you're good at and knowing what the brand stands for in the market is much more appreciated by clients. If clients ask us, can you do all these things? Uh, the answer is obviously yes with most of those technologies, whether it's Oracle, AWS, SAP and Google. But the the honest answer is we we've focused in and doubled down on a key focus couple of focus areas and our ambition is to be the leader for leaders and in order to to do that you need to be uh very good at what you're doing and therefore that specialization in my view both on capabilities service offerings and sectors is very very important because what clients look for is customer transformation in government or core banking transformation in financial services uh, or changing citizen experience. So it's very specific and is often specific around uh, particular technologies. I'll ask both of you um, for this year what the biggest shifts that you've seen in the Australian market. I think you you touched on it a little earlier, Olaf, that is obviously transformation, digital tra- transformation, but the biggest shifts this year because of COVID and what, is the, what does that mean coming into 2021-22? Uh, you first, Olaf. The biggest change I've, I've seen, and I could talk about service offering, but the biggest change I've seen, I think it changes the way Consulting companies like Capgemini or RxP uh, will work with their clients. We've got uh, project teams working with some of the leading banks in, in, in Melbourne 
and they tell us we want the best people and we want the best people globally. In the past, you had to find them, you have to put them on a plane, you had to get a visa to get into Australia and you had to put them in a hotel and, uh, and, uh, and do all these things. Uh, now we're really able to mobilize the best people on the planet, uh, regardless of where they are, because people getting used to uh, the, the type of interaction you have via Zoom and Teams. And we've got project teams with that, with that particular bank working across New York, London, Mumbai and Melbourne. And we can really assemble the best people on the planet for clients in Australia. And uh, being in Australia, that is really exciting. That's relatively new to be able to assemble that team globally, virtually. That's this year, that's really kicked in, has it? Yeah, I think in the past it required often, uh, we, well, obviously we've got 110,000 people in India. So we're very used to having a distributed workforce and, and doing work both locally and then offshore. But it's really anywhere to anywhere and not having to get people on a plane and have to work through all those those things that you need to do to get people physically in a different place yeah. and all they need to do now is change the alarm clock and work in the Australian time zone. You've eliminated logistic challenges and expenses. Sounds good for a CEO, I reckon. Ross, um, what for you is the biggest shifts uh, this year you've seen in the Australian market? Oh, look, without going over what Olaf has said, I mean, I think that the, the other thing is that Every business, no matter what you're in, because of COVID, um, has had to increase their focus on the digital experience that they provide to the humans with whom they interact, whether that be internal people, other businesses they interact, or end-user customers. So that, that whole connection and leveraging the digital channels to connect with people has gone up tenfold. It's just increased. And the other thing is that obviously when you say that, then the importance of connecting what do you say your brand stands for to what you experience you deliver through those digital channels is critical. Never been more critical. And I think you'll see in the, and and you'll know this too, Paul, in the advertising space, the dollars are sort of, they haven't gone down really to spend. Okay, it's been you know, people are picking and choosing a bit, but there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, branding and brand strategy and the creative and how does that flow through to the digital channels and then how do you use technology to help all of that come together. And so we've seen that accelerate. We've also seen, so there's lots of people and businesses typically are making slower decisions when it comes to, you know, implementing technology that supports that whole digital experience but they know they've got to do it. It's never been more important, just never been more important. And I think therein lies the opportunity in, you know, January, February, March, April, as we get through Christmas, as restrictions ease, you know, we're seeing it in our creative part of our business where businesses are getting ready now. You know, we're running a campaign of are you ready for that very reason because we're basically saying to businesses, don't wait, get ready and get ready now for when this comes out the other side. Olaf, what have you seen in terms of those big implementation programs, the IT, I should say, implementation programs, what has been paused and what has still getting some momentum or, or uh, interest to keep backing from the client side? So I don't think there is a one answer to this question. I think it really depends on the industry. And I talked about government and the shift to digital uh, enablement of citizen experience. 
often those changes are not easily executable because uh, the backend systems uh, are stopping you from from enabling that experience. So, uh, and then you have the higher education sector that's been totally challenged with no students coming into Australia and really thinking about different ways of student experience, different ways of uh, of yeah learning and, and teaching at the same time very very strong focus on cost and consolidation of uh, of it providers and uh, and uh, potentially more discussion around outsourcing to improve cost and efficiencies and find partners that can use artificial intelligence and robotics process automation to enable I think internal transformation. So you've got the the back end, and then you've got the customer front end, and it really depends. And then you've got in the middle of all of this, mergers and acquisitions are happening. So we're working with a number of companies uh, where they either need to carve out a part of their business uh, that is often requiring recalibration in what they're doing and how they're doing things to get uh, ready for a new owner or creating a new co and that could be in the telco space in the supply chain logistics space and then the other companies uh, that use the opportunity to enter the australian market and acquire australian companies and become part of larger global global conglomerates so it's really we have not seen uh, for instance in our sap business a slowdown we have never been as busy in that part of our business as we are now. Very interesting perspective. And I, and I want to throw both of you a question that is, you've had no notice on, so good luck with this one. But it's, um, I had a really interesting conversation with the, with the CMO of uh, Budget Direct last week, and he talked about how Budget Direct has never done a digital transformation program because they're in perpetual uh, mode of change all the time. So these big transformation projects that we talk about, he's saying that Budget Direct is sort of moving very quickly and there's not these big programs Programs. Is that something that every company should aspire to or is it just the nature of how big organisations work that you do need these big programs to facilitate these big shifts? Paul, I'd say, first of all, I'd actually agree with him, by the way, because if I didn't say he was right, I'd uh, be I'd be hypocritical yeah. because I've, I've always said, you know, as a business, we never want to get ourselves in a position where we've got to transform. So you want to evolve. You want to effectively, you're right, you, do you want to go and bite big chunks off? The reality is in... In the world today, most businesses are executing their large programs in an agile way, which means they break the big things up into smaller chunks and effectively budget directed. What he's really saying is, you know, we we have some ambition and we all have ambition. I think we all look out and say, what do we want to achieve in a couple of years' time? But then you break that down and more and more, I think, out in the market, typically large programs are broken up into bite-sized chunks where we execute and that's what agile delivery is all about so maybe it's a bit nuanced in terms of how we're talking um i think um and and you know for us think about budget direct as well for us as rxp obviously our size says that we would we would typically have sold against a cap gemini if you like by saying deliver things in small chunks because it's easier to do and by the way we're rxp and we're we're the size for you to be able to do it i don't think that story changes to be honest it's just that you can sign up when you're bigger you can sign up to larger programs that you still break up into those chunks yeah got any thoughts on that one i i think everybody wants to move to a more agile incremental 
continuous improvement way of uh, of driving improved customer experience, improved efficiencies. That's what companies aspire to. It's easier for digital native companies than it is for those that live in highly regulated industries. And I'll take utilities as an example because I've worked in this industry for a long time or uh, Ross has worked in telcos. Uh, yes, you want to make this change incremental, but some of those problems you just got to rip off the band-aid and really fundamentally shift the way you do things and uh, because you get disrupted. And uh, I think, um, yep, some of those problems or emerge an acquisition where you actually have to, you don't have time, you actually need to do this in, in one full sweep rather than an incremental way. But certainly most of the clients we talk to is... Uh, we, we sell you a sprint of uh, three weeks with a team of six people and uh, you end up almost buying consulting as a service, as a subscription service, and you can then direct uh, how you want to use this and what you want to, to do. And I think uh, we've done this with some of the airlines and uh, you, they can ramp it up and ramp it down. Fair to say that now is a good time to ramp it down for airlines and uh, and kind yes. of you can you can almost adjust the consumption of the change in in almost agile sprint size uh, chunks and then you can decide whether you want a team 100% based in Australia or whether you want a resource mix of some of the people here some of the people in India to drive efficiencies and we're very good to collaborate with our clients to do this in a way that matches their ambition and their capability to execute. And the other thing we're doing is we're coaching organizations in actually moving to this new way of thinking and new way of, of working as we've got experience uh, doing this for many organizations. Got a couple more questions and you can go and get on with your merger. But Ross, I do want to ask about what we talked with LF about in terms of service providers and companies like yours and CAP and others. Is there the potential to be a multi-platform tech provider? So, I, you know, we talked about how your ServiceNow, your Salesforce and Microsoft, can you be an effective provider of more platforms than that? Is that is there any chance that will happen or anyone else will do it or do you got to stick to some core, core alliance partners? There's one thing for sure, as long as your bum points to the ground is technology will evolve. And as that evolves... Uh, we will need to evolve ourselves. And so if today, you know, we have four or five big technology platforms, be silly and think 10 years out, those platforms probably will be very different. So by definition, we will have to keep moving. The question really comes down to how many can you look at realistically? And I guess that's what Olaf was saying. But none of us would say that those platforms are going to be here forever. There might be some core ones, but there'll be others that will be replaced by something else. And that's the good thing, yeah, because you get so much development in technology, it improves and improves and improves. Um, and there'll be other ones come along. You know, we look at it today in our world, we say, oh, we could have backed Adobe quicker than maybe we had. That's true, but it's okay. I mean, we've done well out of the ones we chose. Um, we'll be faced with that decision, whether we're on our own or with Capgemini, we'll be faced with that each and every year as to where do we want to go next. So I would never say never. Um, uh, it's just a question of clients will dictate a little bit, technology and trends will dictate a bit, and then we'll have to work out what can we do 
to Olaf's point to make sure that we don't overpromise and underdeliver. So if we're going to go into a technology, we want to make sure that we can do it and do it well. So as a hunch, um, um, again, cheeky question, but in the next two years, if as a hunch, what would you, if you had your idea, what would those other platforms you'd look at to build some expertise in, Ross? I better not give any advertising to anyone, but what I'd say is I, I, I can see the importance of data and what we do with data and technologies that revolve around uh, information and people will be ones that we'll need to be aware of uh, and we'll need to stay on top of because there is absolutely no doubt that people are going to want to do more and more with information they have and how they use that to better service people. And that's why I'll keep saying the three E's are important because it comes back to hooking all of that together. I do think though that you know information, data and what you do with it and technologies around that in a digital channel sense is going to be critical. And what's in the in the Capgemini treasure chest that's already there, uh, Olaf, that w- would talk to what Ross is, is saying? I would reiterate what Ross is saying. Data and cloud, depend, independent of what technology provider is the leading provider, and we often focus on our clients rather than, than the, the solution. And it's fair to say that I think in Capgemini globally, we've got capabilities across all those uh, technology platforms and and and, uh, and partners and many many more, many that are industry specific. The one area that is exciting for us, Capgemini globally, we acquired a company called Altran, uh, not too too long ago, and they are doing amazing things in engineering, and they are they they were the largest or one of the leading engineering companies. They do digital twins for buildings. They do design for aircraft. They uh, do 5G design. And I think that is really an area that we really see with 5G, IoT sensor-based and engineering design systems, whether it's the self-driving autonomous car, whether it is uh, submarines uh, uh, or digital twins of buildings. So I think that is an area we also are very, very strong globally and very, very focused here in the in the Australian market. And with the acquisition of Ultron, uh, we have leapfrogged everybody in the market and are the leading provider in that space. So assuming, Olaf, that this deal with RXP goes ahead, and it is likely, from at least from my eyes, and I don't know as much as you two do, but uh, let's say it does go ahead, will RXP remain a standalone unit in Capgemini or is it going to be integrated into some other parts of the business? How does that look? We haven't really had an opportunity, Ross and I, to really work this through, and we will work this through as a as a as a team. And uh, I think, as I said before, tremendous capability, tremendous portfolio of clients, and we want to not only capture the value that RXP has created in in Ross and the team have built over years, but do this in a way that it provides opportunities for people. It creates incremental value uh, for our business. And what that means and what it looks like, we really have to work through following the all the approval processes. And, uh, and I think it doesn't really matter. I think we're very focused on our clients. Uh, we're very focused on our people. And we will find 
the best answer to your question. Well, I look forward to asking it again next year. That way we might have some clarity. Ross, um, the final question for you and then we'll wrap it up. But this deal, if it goes ahead, does it put you into a new competitive set? Does it give you a new competitive set that you're up against or is it the same players but you've got more clout and, and uh, with, with cap behind you? Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, was talking to Olaf's team probably last week, Olaf, it seems, a month ago, um, and I said what this does do as we come together is it it means that those other big guys become the alternative to us rather than us becoming an alternative to them. That's been a little bit cheeky, but you get what I mean. It means that, you know, we can much better hold our own to the point where maybe we're seen as an incumbent and some of these others that you refer to as the big four become an alternative to us and not the other way around. So that probably gives you the best answer. Sure puts us in a, a new a new space, no doubt. And Alef, I want to just ask you the final question from 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 Cap Gemini's perspective. Uh, when you in, in the areas that I cover quite a lot, which is that those global holding company, the communications holding companies, and their diversification and transformation programs that they, they too are working on to just get beyond some of the the executional brand and creative and media stuff, but to get into the areas that you that that, that Cap Gemini is, and you've got those groups, you've got that competitive set uh, sort of in the in the in the background with you you've got the consulting companies the big four and a few specialists how do you see the really macro competitive landscape for cap gemini and all those different players has it changed in your view in the last five and will it get uh, what will happen in the next in the next five in that macro view paul and the the answer to this question and uh yeah many people ask me that question and my team asked me that question i don't really care about our competition i care about our people and i care about our customers and i think ultimately we need to demonstrate that we add more value to our customers and clients than anybody else and focus on what we're good at and focus what's right for our clients. I just got to counter that with one thing though, but some of your clients are in their own right, if you think about the banking sector, they are looking at com- competitors because there's new competitors coming at them that could eat their lunch, right? So it's a reasonable question to say, I take your point, I get the gist of what you're saying, but in terms of that competitive set, some of your clients are looking at competitors. And so um, maybe I'm, I'm sort of pushing a little bit to just get an understanding of how you see that whole professional services sector uh, taking shape, um, whether you name direct competitors is, but is there a change going on in the professional services full stop? So I think the biggest change, and I mentioned it before, is that what does the new uh, uh, world look like uh, post-COVID and how do we work with clients? How do we mobilise global teams? And I do really think that will change the industry because uh, you get access to talent uh, from anywhere to anywhere and you can, I think, balance uh kind of where you have demand and where you have supply much better so i really think that is a big uh big change in the industry and i think uh, clients want to work with organization that can collaborate in that way and promise them that they actually get their best people and then deliver the best outcomes to them so i do think that will really change i think the consulting world Ross, you're, you're, you're thinking on that. Um, you know, the, the, the same questions that I put to, to LF on that on the big macro uh, players and exactly what he just said then. You've got some any, any thoughts, observations? Oh, look, I mean, I, I think, you know, you've got big holding companies sort of trying to get into consulting. You're consulting trying to get into, you know, the front end of the business, what we refer to as the first D and maybe half of the second D. I think it's a trend that's going to continue. I really do, that I think uh, being able to pull together 
in my words, the three E's, is going to be important. It's going to be important as businesses have learnt through COVID just how critical it is. There's no point implementing technology for technology's sake. If it doesn't back up your brand and the experience that you deliver, there's no point doing it. So what do I think? I think it's going to, I think you're going to see consolidation continue. I think that'll happen. I still, it doesn't mean say everyone's going to be consolidated. I think you'll still see that happen and I think you'll see the, the holding brands trying to add consulting to their patch because they can see the importance of it. And I think you're going to see the core consulting brands continue to try and get into the front end part of the business. So just the three E's that Ross talks about for the for the listener is expression, experience and enablement, correct, Ross? That's what we said earlier on. That's correct. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, a really good, I guess, entree to what um, I hope will be a follow-up conversation with you two next year, post the deal and, and see where it all goes. But thanks for joining. Uh, a really uh, insightful conversation. Stay safe. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search 